Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another awesome episode of the Crushing It in Construction podcast. My name is Jordan Skinner. I am your host, and this podcast is dedicated to the construction industry where I interview amazing guests from within the industry that share their experience, their wisdom, and their insights that'll help you, the listener, either grow within your career or grow within your business. So no matter where you are in this amazing industry, there is always something valuable to learn from our guests and their stories. And Today is no exception. Today, I'm chatting with Craig Lazlett, the Managing Director of Lead Engineering. Now, in our conversation, Craig and I chat about a, a whole heap of different topics, but one of the main themes throughout this entire interview is how he managed to start at the very bottom as a graduate engineer and eventually wind up being the Managing Director of Leightons and how he also managed to work his way up into senior management roles within some other massive companies like Simic Group and Lendlease. So there's a lot to cover in this episode, and I think people are going to get a lot out of it. So without further ado, let's jump straight into this conversation. G'day, Craig. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I'm excited to have a bit of a chat with you. Thanks, Jordan. Great to be here. This has been a long time in the pipe work. I think I originally spoke to you maybe June, July 2021, and we've finally been able to sit down to do it. So for everybody that doesn't know you yet, could you just tell us exactly who you are and what it is that you do? Yeah, I'm Craig Leslett. I'm the MD and co-owner of Lead Engineering. I've been a contractor for more than 40 years. I grew up in regional Australia, so I started off on the tools and I've gone on to be able to deliver some of the iconic infrastructure across Australia and progressed to lead some of the largest construction companies in Australia and been a privilege also to represent the construction industry at the highest levels. So been great, had the opportunity to work around Australia, some dabbles in overseas stuff, but Metro, very remote areas, had a great opportunity, whether it be buildings, road, rail, dams, pipelines, mine infrastructure, had a really great, diverse career. It's been fantastic and ultimately it's a really rewarding location. Yeah. So you said regional Australia. Where exactly did you grow up? So I grew up in Mount Gambier, South Australia, but I've worked all through Australia and the kids, one was born in Mount Gambier, one was Rockhampton and one was Catherine. So that sort of shows the sort of movement that we as a family had as we were following the jobs around. So where you grew up, what was it that your family and people did? How was it that you initially got exposed to the construction industry? Yeah, so my father was a builder and a contractor. My grandfather was a contractor. They were part of the fabric there and my sons have gone on to be contractors. My daughter hasn't. She's probably smarter than uh, smarter <laughs> than the rest of us. But we brought up in that building contracting. Uh, ultimately, my father, there wasn't room on the farm, so we had to go out and do something. Yeah, yeah. So so did you ever dabble in anything else before you came back to construction? Like if you finished school or whatever it was that you did, did you go and try something else before you initially settled in construction? No, I've always been in construction. I suppose from an early age, I was helping dad out or his tradesmen and really on the tools. And I got to the point where, yeah, this is for me. I like to build things. I like to get things done. So I could have jumped into an apprenticeship, but ultimately I decided to go to uni, go to the big smoke and do civil engineering degree. Yeah. So when you came out of that degree, where was it that you landed? My first main role was with latent contractors in central Queensland. I started there as a graduate engineer. So that was the kickoff in the broader contracting industry. Yeah. So obviously there was a point when you started on the tools and as you touched on earlier, you've worked all over Australia. You've also worked for some of the biggest contracting and construction companies in the country. Was there a turning point when you decided that you wanted to start climbing up the ladder further and move off the tools and move into management and see how high you could get in these companies? 
I suppose there was never the grand plan about being the managing director. There was always, I want to do a good job. I want to help my boss out. I want to develop those around me. And I found when I did that, the next opportunity come along. So I was able to step up into the next role and, and move forward. So ultimately, I was able to become the managing director of latent contractors. I had responsibility for 14,000 people and turned over $7.5 billion per annum, which was one of the larger contractors in Australia. And what a great privilege that is to do that. And so no grand plan, just kept doing the right thing at the right time. What do you think it was or what attributes do you think that you were portraying that the higher ups were seeing to give you these opportunities? Oh, I think initially it was understanding the work task and I think time early days with my father and those sorts of things about what's the work task, how do we get things done, what is the critical path, how do we make sure that things get done as efficiently as possible and I think that's probably early days was the driver and obviously a technical capability in understanding those things but more and more I think it became about how to lead people how to relate, how to manage people, how to bring the team along to achieve the best outcome. So I think that ultimately become more of our leadership than engineering. So after you were at Leighton's, where did you go after that? So I was with the Leighton group for 32 years. Okay. So quite a while. Yeah. And I suppose when I refer back to my career, it has been with Leighton. I was the MD and CEO of Leighton Lease Engineering for a while. And we obviously worked through things there, but there was a takeover position by another one of the Europeans. So that role came to an end. So that found me looking for some other opportunities. Yeah. I've got so many questions coming into my head. The reason being is is there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that are business owners, CEOs that run companies, but we've also got a large portion of the audience that are people that are working within companies. So I'm torn as to which direction to go in terms of how far we lean on talking about how people can develop their career and how much we talk about actually business stuff. But what is it that made you want to come back to a company like Lead after working for some of these massive companies? I suppose it really presented a new and different challenge. I was originally from Mount Gambier, so it was about really about returning home in some ways to South Australia. And it was an opportunity to join Andrew Miller, who in partnership had established Lead about 22 years ago. And Andrew and I had met at uni and we had a strong relationship, friendship for more than 40 years. So it was good to come back and and work together. And it was really about how can I apply my broader industry skills to helping a smaller privately owned Australian company and an opportunity ultimately to get back a bit closer to the work, a bit closer to the people and do those sorts of things. So I suppose it offered an opportunity to start to influence this sector in a different way, you know, look at procurement reform, look at how we're delivering infrastructure, seeing how we might be able to better deliver for our clients. So Yeah, so ultimately it comes down to having the opportunity to have more impact in a smaller company, correct? I suppose with the roles that I achieved in the larger companies always had a reasonable impact. This yeah. is obviously, it's a simpler, it's not as much bureaucracy, obviously. Decisions are pretty quick with Andrew and myself, but the reality is great team of people doing great things and we do it ourselves. We have our own operators, our own equipment, our own concreters, our own form workers and it's a skill set that's moving away from the current tier ones yeah. and it's something that is and should be valued by our clients. That's an interesting point you raised there. So you think that things are moving away or are moving less in favour of tier ones and more towards the smaller companies? No, I think it's moving away from self-perform in the tier ones. Okay. So I think the tier ones are more and more engaging a series of subcontractors and suppliers to deliver their work 
rather than actually directly employ and do the work themselves. That's yeah. a bit different with the different sorts of infrastructure. Obviously, with tunnelling, there's a lot of in-house people, but it's moving to that, and I think it makes us a bit more agile and a bit quicker and a bit more adaptable to our clients. Yeah. Um, neither is good or bad, it's just different, and I think that potentially offers an opportunity for people that want to join to a company like Lead to come and work with a team that's actually doing it on the ground. Yeah. Making this step back from a larger company to Lead, what was, I suppose, the biggest changes or biggest things that you had to get your head around in the way that you did things? Was it a hard transition? It was a difficult transition because there have been some tragic circumstances about how it come about. The managing director and one of the founders of Lead had tragically passed away. A lot of the people that are in Lead have been there since inception, so they've been there for 20 plus years. It is a family and people, there was real grief and real sadness and the team were shocked by it and change is always difficult, but in those circumstances, it was a bit challenging, but then the reality is Andrew and myself and the board and all the leadership of the organisation got around that and said, come on, let's go. And I think we've been able to make some great inroads and things have settled down and we're on a really good track at the moment. Yeah. So up until you came to lead, and correct me if I'm wrong, you were essentially an employee of the companies that you work for and you're now a co-owner. Was becoming a business owner, again, part of a plan at all at any point for you? No, but I suppose I always like and I always think we should try and do different things and experience different things. And so no, there'd been no great plan about that. I wondered whether I should have done it earlier now in hindsight. Okay. But there was no great plan about it, but it was different. It was something to do. It was working with Andrew. It was working with a great team. Just variety to life, I suppose. Yeah. So you mentioned you maybe thought you should have done it earlier. Is that something that if you could go back in time, you maybe would have changed? Like you would have jump shipped and got involved on a co-owner level or started your own thing earlier? I could have. I think it's a great opportunity for people, but I don't regret any of my experiences. I think they've been great. I met great people. I've formed great relationships. I've hopefully been able to influence the industry in many, many ways and make it a better place. So I don't regret any of those things, but it's an option people shouldn't not think about. As I mentioned, there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that are employees, people working within larger organisations. If somebody's listening to this and they want to move up the ranks, they want to reach a managing director's role, what is it that you feel people need to try and work on within themselves to be able to get those opportunities? Yeah, I reckon I've touched on this before, but what I find with a lot of people, potentially they are impatient to get there, such in a rush to get there, they miss the learnings, the opportunity, the development that they need to actually be successful in a role mm. at those most suited positions. So to me, probably some of the best time, the best development time was that as a project engineer, early project manager, we're really honing my leadership skills and capability which were then important as I went forward. So no great plan, as I said, tried to do a good job, take work off my boss so that he could do his job better, empower those around me so they could do my job. And ultimately, all of the major positional changes I made were on the back of there were two or three people that are around me that could take my job. Yeah. And, you know, that's one of the real privileges, I reckon, in being a leader in any organisation is to develop people around you. Some people in larger organisations can feel threatened by having people around them that can take their job. How do you suggest people deal with that? don't know. Get over it, I suppose. <laughs> but it's a different mindset that you've spoken about. That You basically have had the mindset of if there's two or three people around me that can do my job, you take the view that that's a good thing. 
not everybody does. So is that a matter of a mindset shift of saying, well, if there's some people that can do my job, there's surely going to be something next for me? Yeah, and I think it's ultimately an evolution of leadership and I think leadership's got to a better place than it probably was when I started, but it's got to be more collaborative. It's got to be working together. Yes, it should be about developing people. If you can't develop others, how can you lead? How can you develop yourself? I I just think it's really important. Yeah. So you touched on it earlier. You said one of the biggest attributes you think contributed to you being able to have the success that you've had is how you manage people and develop people. How have you learned that skill and how have you developed it? Is it something you've just done yourself? Is it something that you've got help with? Yeah, good question. I've done a number of leadership development programs, no no doubt about it, and I think they're good to focus on, to orientate you on your leadership journey. I'm a strong believer in sort of 360 feedback where people take the time and are honest enough to share what they think of you as a leader. I think it's important if they take the time to provide that feedback that you should really respond to it and say, hey, where am I going? Can I do this better? So I think those development things, they have been very good. They've been helpful. But ultimately, I think it's time in the role and doing something and then reflecting on it at night. Shit, I could have done that a bit differently or, hey, yeah. that would have been a better way to do that. I think it's important that we continue to learn. Leadership needs to be much more collaborative. It yeah. needs to be a different way of doing things. And I think yeah. that and the industry need to move to that space. The other thing from a leadership point of view for me is to be really clear about where you sit within yourself, what is your value set and do they align to the organisation you work for, how you want to be treated yourself and those sorts of things. So being very clear about your value set I think is important and so others are clear about it and so they understand what you stand for and how you're going to operate and respond. Since you came back to lead, what are some of the different stages the company's actually gone through since you've come on board? Where was it when you started to where it is now? Yeah, Leeds are a very successful company, has been for 20 years and, as I said before, strong capability in regard to delivering quality work, strong reputation, strong relationship with clients, get a lot of repeat business, which is really good. So I think the change is, and it's a change that's happening with industry as well, and we're on a journey like everybody else, but I think the things for me is to take a broader strategic look at what the horizon looks like and where we might be able to concentrate our efforts and be able to be most successful in delivering for our clients. So taking a longer horizon look, looking at those projects that will really deliver value for, once again, our clients, but also ourselves. So looking at the procurement forms, looking at where the best work will come from, where we get the best opportunities for our people. On the back of that, and we mostly focus on regional areas, we've decided to establish some strategic hubs. So we've got one set up in Cooma, for example, where we're working with Snowy2 and FG, the main contractor there, but also with the local councils and really developing that up so that we have a core skill set of people that live there, reside there, that's where they can support and then build teams around that and being strategic around where those hubs are and where the work's coming. Another one that's starting to emerge for us is Bendigo, but there'll be others that come along. So I think that's a bit more strategic about the business that we participate in. The other one is important, I think, for the construction industry is the broader addressing the culture and commercial frameworks around it. And it's something that I've championed within the big end of town, but I think the smaller end of town's got more work to do here about really looking about fair frameworks, looking about how we might broadly track people and retain people into the industry as a collective, not as individual companies. And also looking at culture and construction 
is not as good as it could be. It's improving, but the culture across the whole community could do with improvement. So construction's on our journey. We haven't got enough women in our workforce, for example. That's mm-hmm. really important. The construction industry provides a really good opportunity for people at any skill level to gain great employment, but also to gain skills and create opportunities. So to me, it's starting to look a bit more outward in regard to how we engage with the broader industry and community. What is it that you think is going to actually make the change with regards to culture? What is it that you think has to happen to get it to a point where it's on par with some other industries? Yes, there's a lot of work. I was the chair of the Australian Constructors Association which was the top 20 tier one builder constructors, we got together with the New South Wales and Victorian government and we really asked this question about what we might do. Mm. And we established what was the Construction Industry Cultural Task Force. And there's a lot of information. There's a website there for now, Culture and Construction, I think it's called, but really looking about how we can actually address those issues. And it's about work-life balance. It's about unashamedly a focus on gender diversity. And it's about making workplaces more fair and safer for all types of individuals. So a lot of work happening in that space, pilots happening in the moment, about five-day working weeks so that people get time for their life, time to go and watch people at footy on Saturday mornings, that sort of thing. So I think that's going to improve it. Women in the industry is going to improve it. It's just, it's on a journey. It's got more to do, but we just can't deal with inappropriate behaviours in the workplace. So when you talk about things like work-life balance, Does that need to be influenced by the contracts that are being signed in the first place and the clients? Because the work-life balance has probably got how it's got because civil contractors and other people are dealing with things like liquidated damages and dodgy timeframes and all that sort of stuff. So does it come from, firstly, maybe contractors not agreeing to certain terms like that, that then in turn help give their employees a better work-life balance? Or does it have to start with the clients not putting those sort of terms in place or proposing those sort of terms in the first place? Yeah, it's a bit of both. And that's why when we established that construction industry cultural task force, we had the government in there as well. Mm-hmm. And having those hard discussions about the very points you make that, hey, if we're going to do this, we need to have a bit more leeway in regard to time and those sorts of things. But I think the reality is, and the pilots will prove that we don't lose that much productivity anyhow by going to those shorter times. We get people are more productive, they're more efficient and we get work done in similar timeframes anyhow. So I think it's just about having those open conversations. Are you able to accept it? Will you work with that? And by and large, I think the industry's on a really good path in regard to that. And it's not it's not just five-day weeks. Obviously, there's projects that have to go 24-7, like tunnelling and the likes, but it's still about a balanced sort of work cycle. Yeah. And so you said before, culture is a massive issue. What is it that you think that needs to start changing in terms of that too? Is it about individual companies getting better on their own and striving to get better? And then in turn, all of the businesses within construction will ultimately create a better industry if they focus on that. How do you see that playing out? Yeah, it's obviously many parts to all that, but Mm. you know, individual companies need to lead it in their own right. But it's going to be better if we do it all together. And that's yep. why we came together with that task force. But ultimately, it's also about doing it, as you said before, with our clients. So bringing that all together. And in all those components, it's going to need strong leadership. Leadership's going to be key within all those things about saying, well, no, that's not acceptable. We have to change this. We have to do it this way. So it's a cultural journey in the construction industry, like many other industries or parts of our society. But leadership and collaborative has got a long way to do to yeah. improve it. I'm interested to know what your thoughts are on 
It's been my observation that COVID has actually made, to a certain extent for our industry, things a little bit better because there's so much work around. People are actually getting more choosy with the stuff that they're refusing. Whereas five or 10 years ago, maybe what you, you know, we didn't have as many options, so we were willing to sign contracts that maybe weren't as good. But there's a lot of people around at the minute just because they've got so much work on, they are turning away work and refusing different terms and conditions that maybe in the past they would have accepted. Do you think that'll stay? I hope it stays. I agree with your points that people have been pushing back more on what is unreasonable. I think as an industry, we were taking risks that were unknown, unquantifiable, just crazy. So I think the broader industry is starting to recognise that. I think the clients are understanding the value in being fairer and more open in regard to those things. So ultimately, I think it is getting to a better spot. Will it revert back? I hope not. And it'll need strength from all sides of the equation just to realise the better value that's being provided by more collaborative working arrangements, that better value is created. The jobs are safer, they're more diverse, more innovation, more continuity. These things are all very, very important. Yeah. Yeah. I've really enjoyed having this chat and I want you to answer this question twice so so you get the raw end of the stick because not only have you worked your way up as an employee but now you're a co-owner. If you could go back as an employee to when you were starting all over again, what would you do differently, if anything? I think I touched on this a fair bit before, but I, I think things change for me as an employee and perhaps I was fortunate to typically be in some sort of leadership role. And I think the concept of what a leader is has supposedly changed through my career. I'm not sure if it really has, but perhaps it was seen differently. To me, if to answer your question, it's being curious about what leadership is. I think that's yeah. really important. And to therefore be curious about your own leadership and ask yourself, can I be a better leader? And I'm sure we all can. And once again, those sort of 360 feedback, try and find out how you can be a better leader, be more inquisitive, more exploring about those things. And I said before, I think what's important for a leader and to help your leadership journey is to really understand your value set, where you're going and focus on those. So they're important yeah. to me. So yeah. focus earlier on what leadership is, what it's about, how does it fit you, how yeah. can it work for you, how can it work for your people and bring all those things together. I reckon that's a great answer because I think you killed two birds with one stone. There I am thinking I've set you up for a question that you had to answer twice and you've done it in one hit. So that's, yeah, bravo. Is there anything I haven't asked you during the podcast that you think our audience would really benefit from? To me, construction is a great industry. We should all be very, very proud of it as an industry. We should feel very confident that we're doing great things and we make a great contribution, not only to the economy, but we can make such a big contribution to the broader society and community. And I think that's a really great thing about construction. So to me, just be very proud of being part of it. Reach out, have some courage trying to do things differently, but it's a great place. Yeah, yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. I always like to end these episodes on a bit of a personal note just so the audience can get to know the guest a little bit better. Is there a weird or interesting fact about yourself that most people won't know? Yeah, I'm not sure it's weird, but it perhaps describes what I do in most spare time, if you like. I like to have a diversity of interests just to sort of change tack when I'm not at work, and that's improved over the years. You know, early days I was probably a workaholic and, didn't spend the time, but I think that diversity of experience and activity is really good. And what are my examples? I like understanding family history. I like to understand the places and circumstance in which I came from. I think that's interesting. I like walking. I think that's a great way to get away and things differently. 
I like volunteering. I'm a member of both the RFS and the CFS. Okay. And volunteer firefighting. And I'm just, to me, it's just a wonderful experience. And to me, it's something that we as Australians, I think, should be very, very proud as an ethos of Australians and their volunteering effort is just pretty bloody good. So those things, that diversity of day. So when you're driving a fire truck down a road with lights and sirens on, you got your focus on that thing for that moment. Yeah. And yeah. I think that diversity of thought, difference, change is healthy. So with the family history stuff, have you ever done one of those? So you can get those tests now where you like send a piece of saliva in and did you do that or? Yeah, I've done that and the kids have done it. It's extraordinary. You can choose how private or not private you want to be but if you pitch it out there onto the web it starts connecting up and you start to get all sorts of people that are doing the research for you yeah so where was your family originally from well it's a bit everywhere the surname came from england the focus had typically been to follow the surname follow the father the paternal line but i did an interesting exercise i took two weeks and drove around regional south australia with my mother and visiting people or graves or places and it was extraordinary her side hadn't been explored very well at all but in that it was scottish there was german there was irish there was just a whole mix as you'd expect so yeah i think there's lots there that we can look at and understand i've really enjoyed having this chat i really appreciate your time and coming on the show where can people reach out to you online learn more about lead and get in touch if they want to inquire about work or learn more yeah, obviously there's a website for lead and there's a LinkedIn address for lead and I have a personal LinkedIn address as well. So please reach out, happy to help. Hopefully it's been useful for others. I appreciate your time and thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Sean. You've been listening to the Crushing It in Construction podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favourite podcast player and it would be greatly appreciated if you could leave us a five-star review. If you'd like to learn more about employer branding and recruitment marketing strategy, feel free to visit our website at moonshotmedia.com.au or reach out to me directly at jaskinner at moonshotmedia.com.au. Thanks again for listening and I'll speak to you in the next episode of Crushing It in Construction. Crushing It in Construction.